Well, I am not going to be preaching Hebrews 13, 7 through 17. I will leave that uh, for Pastor Brian when he returns. Uh, when Brian called me this morning around 8.30, 8.45 and told me that they had COVID in their house, uh, I immediately knew what I wanted to preach. And it's the same thing that I will always preach uh, when given the opportunity at a last minute like this to bring a message before God's people. I knew I wanted to preach the gospel. And so from there, it was just finding a passage that, that did that in a, in a full and a good way. And so this morning, uh, we will be taking a pause from our little mini-series looking at officers. And we will look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. What better topic to bring before God's people than Christ? And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. Christ, who is our reconciliation. Christ, who is our reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Before we read his word, let's go to him and ask for his blessing and help just one more time. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. Father, it is good and it is powerful and it is effective You will do through it what you have promised you will do. Your word tells us as much in Isaiah chapter 55. Father, we pray that as we hear your word this morning, that you would grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that you would soften our hearts to be able to receive the word of God as it is preached. We pray that through the preaching of your word, that Christ and Christ alone would be glorified, that his kingdom would be furthered, That the sinners and the God-haters and the idolaters would be brought to repentance. And that your people, your saints, your children would be edified and would benefit from it. Father, we pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. I would remind you, dear brothers and sisters, that this is God's inspired Inerrant, infallible, sufficient word. Hear it now. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Our text begins with a word that is worth always pausing at that word therefore and you've heard me say it before you'll hear me say it again every time you see that word you need to ask yourself the question what is the therefore therefore here Paul is pointing us back to some of the message that he's given before early in chapter 2 and the beginnings of chapter 1 the very last section of Ephesians leading up to this Ephesians 2 8 through 10 is probably as good Calvinists and Presbyterians, good Reformed folks, should be one of your most favorite passages in all of God's Word. There Paul's clear instruction that you have been saved out of your depravity, out of your, out of your spiritual death, out of your spiritual lowness, 
not by any works of yourself, not by any efforts, not by any strivings on your part, but you know it, brothers and sisters. You have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to God's glory alone. For good works, for his benefit. That's what Paul is pointing us back to when he says, therefore. This is the gospel message, and now I'm going to build upon it a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, you have been saved by grace through faith. That's, that's done. That's, that's past tense for you, brothers and sisters. But now Paul wants to bring us back a little bit. He wants to take a step back in time, and he wants us to look at who we were before that. To really give us a fuller sense of appreciation of what it means that you're saved by grace. I mean, that's great. We know that's not a bad thing. How could being saved by grace be a bad thing? But can we fully appreciate our salvation if we don't know how bad our situation was that God saved us from in the first place? And the answer is no. So Paul brings us back. Our text today can be seen as the motivator, the motivator for those good works that Paul called us to at the end of that last section. Where he told us, you're saved by grace through faith, but why? For good works, or as Martin Luther would put it, you are saved by faith alone. But not by a faith which remains alone. It should bring with it good works and efforts as, as you've been saved and now walk in Christ. But sometimes we need motivation. And that's exactly what this text serves to do. And so in order to motivate us to have those good works, to be his workmanship in Christ Jesus, as Paul put it, God's word commands us to do three things this morning. Three things. First, we are to remember the nature of our past. Remember the nature of our past. Secondly, we are to remember the alienation of our past. The alienation of our past. So that, in order, number three, that we may better know our current reconciliation. Remember the nature of your past, the alienation of your past, so that, number three, you may know your current reconciliation. And so first, look with me at verse 11. Verse 11, we see that we're to remember the nature of our past. We're commanded there. Therefore, Paul writes, remember. Remember. Now, usually, we like to think of fond memories. I know I enjoy. Uh, sometimes not so much. Sometimes it hurts, hurts my feelings a little bit when I look at Facebook memories uh, of how fast uh, Liam, who's coming up on three years old, at every stage, we thought he was such a, 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 a he looked old. He, he looked old to us. He acted old to us, but I guess he was our only context, right? He was our first child. Uh, and we look back at pictures from even six months ago, or let alone when it does a memory from two years ago. And almost, it, it's, it's happy, but it also makes me a little bit sad. But we like fond memories. I love looking at those Facebook memories before Facebook deleted my original profile. Uh, of those memories of my visits to places like China and Peru or, or, or going camping in Texas or Arizona. Those are fond memories. And normally when we want to remember, that's the kind of stuff that we, we want to think about. Well, Paul has a little bit different plan for us this morning. Uh, they're, they're not really that fond of memories that he's commanding us to remember. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that you were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Here Paul, in a sense, is calling us to remember our roots, remember our rejection, yet to remember, at the very end of it, he throws in this little glimmer of hope that the equal status that we now share before God. 
And so in the first part of verse 11, we're, we're told to remember our roots. Paul says very clearly that you at one time, he said, make, make no mistake, don't forget this, don't pretend it didn't happen, don't just move on past it, but really reflect on it, that you at one time were Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, in, in, in God's mind, in the biblical worldview, there's only two groups of people, really, for most of human history. You're either a Gentile or, or you were a Jew. And that distinction mattered uh, much more than rich or poor or popular or unpopular. You were either a Gentile or you were a Jew. And if you were a Gentile, you were considered a pagan, a foreigner, a, a reject. That's much more than just saying that you were from another country. That, that's not just what the distinction is. But that our foreignness was a core part of who we were. You see what I'm saying? It's not just that we were from a foreign land. It's who we were in our core. We were foreign to God and his people and his covenant and his promises. In our flesh, rooted deeply in our heart and soul and our very nature, we were seen as unclean things, as impure things, as foreign things. And so he tells us, Christian, remember this. Don't just move past it. Remember that you were born without any of the covenantal privileges. That your bodies themselves were considered impure and unclean. Remember how unclean you felt when you used your bodies and minds for these ungodly purposes. But, it, but it's not just a result of the things you had done. That would be bad enough. But, but if it was just a result of what we had done, we could, we could correct our behavior, right? We could make a list. We could, we could really work on it. But it was a manifestation of who we were at our core. Remember, Paul says, he makes the specific note that you were Gentiles by nature. It is, it is who we were at our core. We were impure. What really brings home how serious this is, is when we consider and we look at historical text, and we have, we have plenty of them, of, of Jewish writings from around the days of Christ and right before it, where they reference Gentiles. It is never in a positive light. It is never in a friendly light. There are several rabbinical teachings that were rabbis taught. This was the common teaching in Christ's day when he came on the scene. That Gentiles, that the only reason God made them, made us as Gentiles, was to be fuel for the fires of hell. That is a quote from several rabbis. This was the level of reproach that belonged to us as Gentiles. It was thought of us that our very purpose in life was to be nothing more than kindling for the fiery pit. And so Paul says, remember this. Don't, don't, don't try to push it out of your mind. Reflect on it. Remember it. Be aware of it. Be clear on it. Remember your roots. That you were a pagan, a foreigner, unclean, impure, despicable in both your eyes and others, and most importantly in God's. Now why would Paul want us to remember this? You go, Paul, this is not a good memory. Uh, this, is, this is not a good memory. This is like when you have a Facebook memory that comes up on Facebook from two years ago of when you, when you weighed 30 pounds less, right? That's not a positive memory. You look back on that and it's upsetting. It's very upsetting. You know, you thought you were doing fine and then you look at that picture and you're going, maybe not so much. Maybe I don't eat that extra slice tonight. This is one of those negative memories. This is not what we want to think on. So why, Paul, why are you bringing up the past? The idea here, what, what Paul is trying to convey in God's word, remember because in the memories, not only will your own salvation become more precious, 
but it will make those around you, especially those you don't like or those that seem different than you, be much more like you and precious to you. And so Paul says, remember, don't don't just skip past it. I know it's not a fond memory, but don't just remove it. Think about it. But he's not done. Here's still under our first point. In the latter part of verse 11, we're told to remember our rejection. We were rejected by the circumstance of our birth. Paul says you were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. So Paul wants us to not just remember our past impurity, but also our past rejection, the the negative consequences that came along with that negative nature. And see, for the Jews, circumcision wasn't just a physical difference. It was a sign of covenantal status. If you were here a couple of Sunday nights ago as we were uh, going through the book of Colossians, we, we covered baptism and we looked at those similarities between circumcision in the Old Covenant and, and baptism in the New. And, and so it, it carried with it much the same. Uh, circumcision was your r- right of entrance into the, the community of God's people. If you've ever been called, I, it, this is as best as we can kind of qualify it. If you've ever been called a racial slur or been made fun of for your looks, your accent, or where you were born, if you've ever felt yourself being treated differently because of the, maybe the amount of money your family has or the, the, the car your folks dropped you off at school in or your height or, or anything like that, you can maybe begin to understand like the tip of the iceberg of what Paul is conveying here because none of it comes close. We were seen as like a less than human thing by God's people when Jesus arrives on the scene. The the Jews couldn't stand us. As a Gentile, we were impure pagans by birth. We were rejected. Many of the rabbis referred to Gentiles as dogs. They, They saw us on the same quality level as an animal. And this is seen clearly in the rules regulating who could enter the temple in the days of Christ. If you've ever looked at a diagram... There's one that has a permanent place in our, in our youth room that our students made a number of years ago of, of the Temple of the Holy of Holies. There's a series of walls. And in the very outermost court, where we saw the money changers in Jesus' day, only that's as far as the Gentiles can go. If you were not a Jew, that was as far as you could go. And so you get a little bit more context of how upsetting it was for Christ that this is where people were making loud noises and, and selling goods. It was the one place that Gentiles had to come to worship God, and it was being ruined. Well, then there was a giant wall. And on that wall, clearly, clearly carved in where anybody can see, we've actually found remnants of this in, in the stone steel. It was clearly engraved, uh, essentially a warning to Gentiles that if you step past this, your death is on your own hands. You, you've basically killed yourself. Gentiles were not allowed to cross that first wall, that first threshold, except for on pains of death. In that second wall, uh, if you were a Jewish woman, you were now permitted to come. Then there was another wall with the same type of inscription, and past that Jewish men could go. And then you get to the actual temple in the center, where only priests could go. But even in the temple, even in the temple, there was a veil, the Holy of Holies, which only one man, once a year, the high priest could enter into. And even they so often were killed because of their impurity that it became common practice to tie a rope around their ankle with a bell. So that if the high priest died before the presence of God, the others could drag him out without having to go in and be consumed as well. And we were on the furthest outreaches of that diagram. Stuck on the outermost of the outermost wall. Paul is saying, don't just move past this. Remember it. Reflect upon it. Remember your rejection. Remember your rejection. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, well, that's, that's great, uh, but I don't know any Jews right now, and they don't treat me like that. I don't think they would if I met them. So what's really uh, the big deal for me? Well, well, sadly, what has happened, brothers and sisters, is now many in the church, in God's new covenant community, act like those people in the old covenant community did. But we find this way too often. We act as though we are somehow better than those others. As if our spiritual circumcision was made by our very own hands instead of the hands of Christ. Even in the best of churches, the purest of churches, we find that our humanity comes forth in our pettiness, our arguments, our lack of forgiveness, our envy, our lust, our gossip, our laziness, or our self-centeredness. And so this is, this is relevant for God's people right now. We need to be reminded of our past nature and our past rejection and how it affects us even now. Because it's easy for us to be repulsed and appalled by the sins of others without ever doing any self-reflection and self-evaluation at our very own sins. And so Paul does the opposite of here of what so many in our culture do. We have so many that tell us in the West, in America today, to never doubt your worth or value. Every time just about that I turn on Christian radio stations, this is the only message you hear. You are good, you are whole, you are great just the way you are. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. That's not the gospel message. We're told constantly, don't dwell on the past. Forget it, that's not you anymore. Move on past it, don't ever think about it. That We need to just forget it. But God is telling us in his word right here the polar opposite. Paul tells us, don't forget it. In fact, actively remember it. Actively reflect upon it. Actively take some time every now and then to think back to who you were before Christ found you and saved you and made you a new creation. Remember your failures. Remember your sins. Remember your impurities and even how they affect us now. It will make your salvation all the more good. It will make his grace all all the more great. It will make it to where when you sing those songs like, like Amazing Grace, that you will mean the words. Because it is amazing. It should blow your mind when we reflect on who we were, what Christ has done for us and is doing for us right now. But Paul isn't done. In addition to telling us to remember the nature of our past, he tells us in verse 12 to remember the alienation of our past. Verse 12 we read, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. Don't ever invite Paul to give a high school graduation speech because he's probably going to bum people out a little bit. This isn't very positive and encouraging, Paul. What are you doing? But it's necessary. It's necessary. What did the alienation of our past entail? Paul tells us here. We were Christless, churchless, hopeless and godless. Let's take a second to look at each one of those. Paul tells us we were Christless. We were Christless. By virtue of our very birth, the nature with which we were born, we were born our default alienated from Christ Jesus. You as a Gentile, I as a Gentile, were not born as natural recipients of God's promises. You remember all those benefits that Paul laid out for us in chapter 1 of Ephesians? Hopefully you're familiar with Ephesians. I would hope you are. It's, it's one of my favorite books. It's basically a mini Romans. 
all the benefits that he has given us, that we have every blessing in the heavenly places, that you have been elected before the foundation of time, that Christ died for you, that all of these benefits, all of these perks, all the benefits and perks that you read of in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, those promises to Abraham and his offspring, we were not the natural recipients of that. We had none of those. As Romans 5 lays out for us, our lot in this life by nature... The only inheritance we were going to get from our natural father, Adam, was weakness, ungodliness, and enmity with God. And this is still true. This is still true of any who have not yet been born again by God's Spirit, who have not yet placed their faith on Christ alone for their salvation. This either is true of you or was true of you. Those are the only two options. But not only were we Christless, Paul continues, we were churchless. We were churchless. Paul tells us you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He's not talking about the geopolitical nation of Israel that you can get a stamp on your passport and travel to today. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about true Israel. Remember, not all Israel is Israel. He's talking about God's covenantal people. You were alienated from them. You were alienated from his covenant community. Paul tells us in Romans 11 that the true Israel has always been, quote, the remnant chosen by grace. What Paul will elsewhere call the elect. We called it Israel in the Old Testament. We call it the church in the New, but it's one people. It's one covenant community. The church hasn't replaced Israel. The church has always been the true Israel, the spiritual Israel. But until the incarnation of Christ, only ethnic Jews or those who first became Jews through circumcision, a group of people called proselytes, Only those people belong to the covenant community. So if you were born in, say, Athens or Spain, tough luck. What Christ has done in the new covenant is he has kicked the door wide open for all the nations to come in. For all the peoples to come in. Now we as Gentiles may be engrafted onto that branch that we read about in Romans chapter 11. He didn't burn the first olive tree and plant a new one. It's the same olive tree. We have now, through Christ and his sacrifice and what he has done, as the Gentile branch of the church, we have now been engrafted, engrafted onto that tree. But this doesn't mean that we all automatically, as Gentiles, belong to the church any more than all Jews did then. It has always been and is now and will always be the remnant chosen by grace. Our very own Westminster Confession describes this in detail in chapter 25, paragraph 1, where we're told that the Catholic, I know we we always pause at that. I can always tell when we have visitors for the first time and we're doing the Apostles' Creed uh, because they'll perk up at that word Catholic, right? This isn't Roman Catholic. This is Catholic as in universal, the spiritual church. The, The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect, that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And some will, at this point, there's always someone who at this point asks, well, well, how do I know then? How do I know if I'm one of those? This isn't only the wrong question to ask, but it's a fruitless one. God's word makes clear that those who truly possess and profess a real faith in Christ... Those who have true repentance of sins and obedience to God's word are saved and are therefore elect. 
But we were at one time churchless. This wasn't true of us at one point. We were alienated from the covenant community of God, the commonwealth of Israel, and every perk, every benefit that comes along with it. Uh, We were divided by everything that could divide us. Race, money, social status, ethnicity, nationality, and if you live in the South, even football teams. But Christ breaks down those dividing walls. He tears open that veil. So that can you believe it, brothers and sisters, that even in this church, we have both Ole Miss and Mississippi State fans worshiping alongside one another. Don't you see the the uniting grace of Christ even there? We had no true fellowship. We had no biblically meaningful relationships. We were alienated from the true community without the church. We were spiritual aliens. And Paul is not done. We were not only alienated from Christ and his church, but we were alienated from hope. And so you get the full picture. Paul tells us we were Christless, churchless, and hopeless. Without the hope of Israel or the hope of the resurrection. Pagans or Gentiles by birth, who we were before Christ. We lack not only the hope of Israel, that that hope of belonging to God's people and being one of Abraham's offspring by default. But arguably more importantly, we lack what the scriptures refer to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as the hope of the resurrection. God is the God of hope. We read in Romans 15, and to be without him is to be without real hope in this world. And especially without hope in the world which is to come. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, how much you think your good's going to outweigh your bad, what family you come from, whether you grew up in church or not. If you were found on your last day to be without Christ, you have no hope of future. You have no hope of inheritance. You have no hope of what is to come. But it gets worse. We were Christless, churchless, hopeless. And Paul finishes, we were godless. We were godless. It's not to say that the Gentiles didn't have plenty of gods or that we were without, even in our current modern world, without our idols, money, sex, power, health, wealth, prosperity. may not be an idol of wood or stone. We like to mock the people of old for bowing down to those little statues. But many, even I'm convinced many who claim to worship Christ, have actually just constructed a false idol and placed the name Christ on him. How many say they're Christians, how many claim to worship Christ, but when they begin to describe the Christ they worship, he doesn't match the Christ of the scriptures at all. But it doesn't matter if they call him Christ, it's not Christ. We were godless. We were without hope, without the church, without the covenantal benefits. Paul hits us with this hard truth. He brings up that memory that we want to bury. He tells us to remember our past nature, to remember our past alienation. Don't just skip it. Don't just move past it. Remember. Remember, brothers and sisters, that at one time, before Christ, you were pagans, unclean, rejected, alienated from Christ, His church, from hope, and from God. Don't glance over it. He wants us, just for a moment, to soak in it. He wants us to soak for just a moment in this little sea of despair, and feel wave after wave after wave of reality hitting us of exactly how bad our situation was when Christ saved us. And then right as we're about to go under, right as we feel that we can't struggle with it anymore, Paul throws us a lifeline in classic Pauline fashion. 
Now he transitions in verse 13. He no longer says remember the past, but he transitions to the present. That's who you were. Now look at who you are. He does what Paul always does. And he gives us two of my favorite words in Scripture. You've heard me say this before. But now. How many times in Paul's writings are you at a point where you're like, man, I don't know if I can take this anymore. Paul, this isn't very helpful. This is just really bumming me out. This is not how I wanted to start my Monday, right? I just wanted a, a helpful, positive little life verse for the week. And this is not doing it. And then right as we get to that moment, we read those gospel words, but now. But now. What does he tell us in verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off, you who were outside the temple, you who were alienated, you who were outcast, you who had no place, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How is it that we could have any hope after reading this, after reflecting on this? Common sense would tell us otherwise, that if that was our condition... uh, Good luck. When our past is covered in sin and shame and we hear that from our very birth and conception we were deprived and alienated of God and hope itself. What what can I do with that, Pastor? What can you do? What can I do? What hope do I have to get into heaven if that's my default? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You you can't do anything. I can't do anything. That's literally the whole point. But there is one who has, will, and can. It's in Christ Jesus. And according to this verse, regardless of what was true of our past, our present is covered and marked in this. Our future is covered and marked in this. That Paul tells us we are in Christ Jesus. You who were pagans and rejects by birth, you who by your very conception were were alienated from Christ, alienated from the church, alienated from hope and from God, you are not only brought into the covenant community, this isn't just letting you into the temple complex, you have now been brought near by the very blood of Christ, that blood which was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, That, that very thing which would sometimes kill the priest, the high priest, the holiest man of all of Israel, the place where he was scared to go, you now have access to enter constantly and to do so with boldness and confidence because you are filled with Christ, you are covered with his blood, his sacrifice is once and done and for all. And so there's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's only two groups of people on this planet. It's not Jew or Gentile, it's not black or white, it's not rich or poor. It's it's those who this was true of, and it's those who this currently is true of, and Christ is the only thing that makes the difference. This verse tells us that we have been reconciled in Jesus, and by Jesus, not by our good deeds, not by our works, not by our righteous acts, not in and of ourselves, but in Jesus and by his perfect obedience. You see, that covenant of works is still alive and well, brothers and sisters, And you're given the option. You can try to fulfill it on your own. Good luck with that one. Or you can place your hope and trust in the only man who has ever fulfilled it perfectly. And God will count that on your behalf. 
in Christ and by Christ, by His perfect obedience and blameless blood shed on the cross, we have been brought near. In Christ and by Christ, there is no more dividing wall. There is no more dividing curtain. No more dividing walls of the temple or even a tent or a cloud. We now have the same access, not that the priests had, not that Moses had, but that Christ himself has. In Christ, you are now God's child and a full-blown heir of everything Christ has been promised. It is in Christ and by Christ that we who were alienated, pagan rejects, have been brought near. And so we should run to Christ, flee to him. Place your hope and confidence, not in what you do or what you will do, but in what Christ has done. And so Paul wants us to not forget. Don't glance over it. He wants us to remember who we were. It is appropriate and it is good every now and then to reflect and remember what you were before Christ came into your life. It is, it's a good thing to do. It's a helpful thing to do. We must remember our past nature, our past alienation, because it's only when we remember who we were that we fully appreciate who Christ has made us now. It is only when we see the full portrait of alienated humanity that we're able to see the full portrait of the reconciling Christ. Remember who you were so that you may better know and revel and worship and glorify God in what Christ has made you now, brother and sister. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Would you join me now in prayer? Almighty God and gracious Savior, we praise you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for Christ Jesus. Father, that you would send your only eternally begotten Son to this world to suffer, to live, and to die and to be raised and seated for your glory, yes, but also for our good. Father, help us. Help us as we go throughout our week to take those appropriate times to reflect on who we were before. Not so that we might whine, not so that we might fall into a depression of sadness, but help us to think and spend some time on who we were so that we might better appreciate who we are now. So that we may better worship Christ and give thanks to Christ for all that he has done and continues to do for us. Father, we pray this in Christ's name, for his glory and for his people's good. Amen.